Let's pray together. Father, thank You for our time of worship together so far. Thank You for what You're doing in our lives. And thank You uh, for this body. And Lord, in the middle of summer here, in the middle of August, to look at all these announcements and to really be enthused about the joy and the, the life and the freedom that's happening here in Christ. Uh, we're so thankful. And we're thankful for Your Word once again and, and what You've been doing uh, through Your Word the last few weeks as we've really spent time uh, looking at some core truths about our relationship with You and what it means to press on, what it means to walk with Jesus in the midst of a world and a culture that is just so rapidly changing around us. Uh, so thank You for Your Word. And now as we open it once again, would You uh, speak to us through Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. Would you guide us into all truth, uh, not just in, in able, uh, being able to understand, but also then, Lord, to, to bring application, to respond to your word, and, and in the response and faithful obedience to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So, so we love you, we love your word, and uh, commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at uh, Matthew 4. And we looked at the temptation of Jesus being in the wilderness, 40 days, being hungry. The devil had come to him. Verse 3 calls him the tempter. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that led us into a, a discussion and a study of God's word on this idea of independence. And really the temptation that, that Jesus was presented with in this, in this story was to act independently of God. Hey, if you are the Son of God, if you have power, if you have authority, just use it. There's a problem. You're hungry. Just take it upon yourself. Act independently. Don't even ask God. Just do it. And we saw uh, last week that, that really in a covenant relationship with Jesus... There is no independent living. It's much like we use the illustration with, with Ernie uh, in the marriage covenant, with Ernie and Sally. Uh, when you enter into a marriage covenant, there is really no more I. It's now we. It's now we, right? There is, you can't be married, you know, uh, Ernie can't say, Sally, I'm going to be married to you uh, Sundays from 9 to 10, 15. But after that, good old bachelorhood for me again, you know, but we'll meet every Sunday from 9 to 10, 15, Sally, and we'll be married. And you got me then. But all the other time, it's just it's, it's back to my time. And we understood that in the context of a covenant with Jesus, that when you put your faith in Christ, it now becomes we, really him, but it's we. Okay. And one of our challenges, and we had really good, good discussions with the men, and, and I've had some really good discussions with, with people during the week, this challenge in us because of our nature to act independent. Even in the church, sometimes we commit to things because there's a quote-unquote need and then maybe we commit and we commit and we commit and then we're overwhelmed and we're burning out even in good things when, quite honestly, we didn't even ask God if we're supposed to be doing the good things. Sometimes in church, we need to be not so quick to jump in to fill a need. And the first thing we need to do is say, Lord, do you want me to fill this need? 
And I shared that story with you about Mark on the base last Sunday. I had surrendered that need that Vinny was out of town and we weren't going to have a bass player. And a few hours later, God revealed that we have a bass player sitting here. And so I could have been quick to fill the need myself and jump on that end of it and play and add to everything else I was already doing or just submit it and yield it to God and say, okay, Lord, I, okay. And sometimes we, we, we equate with a choice between good and bad. When in the church, here's the thing, it's oftentimes a choice between good and good and good and good. And out of the goodness of our heart, even the best of intentions, we jump and we try to do everything because it's good. And we're acting independently of God, even in the church. And there's, there's a real application for all of you who love to serve and want to da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Don't get ahead of God even in the church. Amen? If, if there's a need, and, and we have a need like on the worship team or a need with ushers or a need with you know, bringing cookies once a month or whatever, cupcakes, you know what people will say? And they say, well, what can I do? I say, pray about it. Do what God puts on your heart to do and do it as unto Him. Because if you leave it up to Pastor Richie, I got a whole list for you. Just sign on the bottom and I'll fill it in as we go. Right? That's what we do in our line of work. If we're not careful, we just try to slot you in the spots that need to be filled. The step of faith for me is when there's a need in this church, I have to pray and ask God to fill it with the right person. And that right person comes about as everyone's praying about what God would have them to do. Amen? So, so even in this issue of independence, be very careful that it's sometimes it's not good and bad. It's a choice between good and good. And it's just like, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I don't want to get ahead of you just because there's a need, a good need, right? And, and in this verse, you see in Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3, uh, where God had provided manna supernaturally to the Israelites, right? And the point of Jesus quoting that was like, hey, you have this physical problem, God's not limited to physical means. God's power, God's authority is so vast that He just has to say something and your need can be met in a way that you don't even, you don't even know, right? Manna. And no clue. But God spoke and supernaturally because of His authority and because of who He is, the problem was resolved of hunger. How many of you have, have ever had a moment in your life where you had this need and you thought there was only one way to that need to be met and suddenly God provided completely different? Right? Completely different. You didn't, I had no clue. That happened last Sunday with this base. I had no clue. And God said, no, here. And so we're learning this, this issue as we press on in 2015 and, and, and our walk with Jesus, what it means to be in covenant with Him. Greater to lesser, mutual, no longer independent living, right? And today we're going we're gonna to discuss and, and look at God's Word in light of another really foundational principle we need to settle, okay? We need to settle. Meaning, who's the authority? Who's the final authority in your life? Now, authority has this weird vibe to it. Because how many of you like the word authority? 
Okay, I should preface it. Let me define it. How many of you like the word when you're the authority? Okay, yeah, let's just be honest, right? How many not so much when you're under someone else's authority? Right? And so we're going to look at this biblical truth because if we're in a diatheke covenant, greater to lesser, and there's no more me, it's we, and the Bible says that Jesus is Lord, how do, what does that mean? What does that mean in my life practically? And really, it comes down to this word authority. Authority. And my prayer for us uh, at, by the end of our time is that you go, man, I love, I, I'm glad God's the authority. Because for many of us, we're struggling with issues in our, in our obedience. And it's really an issue of authority. We're really struggling with this issue of authority. And so we're going to look at that uh, as much as we can today, if necessary, going to next week. Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at a story that focuses on authority. Luke 7. Verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask uh, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So a centurion, a guy who's in charge of about a hundred soldiers, has a, has a need. A servant that he, that he really cares about, really loves, that he values, right? In fact, in the story in Matthew 8, 6, it says he's paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Okay, so, so there's a problem and the centurion sends a group to, to really ask Jesus to come and, and, and help heal his servant. So Jesus begins... A journey over there and, and, and another group, right? It says in, in verse 6, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, right? Do not, do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself, a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go when he goes and that one come when he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So there's this radical 
event that happens. As Jesus is on his way, another contingent shows up with another message, and he says, hey, we have another message. And the very first message begins this, 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 this recognition. It reveals that there's this recognition from the centurion. Because look in verse uh, 6, which says, He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him and says, What? Lord. Lord. Now that's one of those churchy words, if we're honest, that we just grow up saying. How many affirm Jesus is Lord? Right? How many, how many profess Jesus is Lord and Savior? How many of you have prayed, Lord? What does it mean, really? Is, that just, is, it, is it just one of those titles, just like professor, doctor, right? Do we say Lord as sort of a cliche term, or do we say Lord with, with the recognition of who Lord is. So the first R is, we, is, is the centurion has this recognition because the word Lord is, is, is master. The word Lord was used of servants out of reverence and respect for master. So if we were to take Lord and switch it just a little bit and use the word master, maybe for somebody here, that's what you really need to start saying. Because Lord is so churchy that we excuse it. If you want to challenge yourself, Jesus is master. Jesus is my Savior and master. Mm. But y'all went, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is Master. One who has power and authority over all. Our words are very powerful. We talked at the beginning of service, uh, spending a minute in an attitude of gratitude, and I could see, but some of you are like, yeah, yeah. Some of you? need to change Lord to Master. Notches it up, doesn't it? Radically changes things. Because all of a sudden it goes back to covenant and greater and lesser. Because many of us in the church, we were kind of told that when you put your faith in Jesus, He's your buddy. Jesus is now your friend. And he is a friend because you have a relationship with him. He says, I call you friends, right? We do know him intimately. We're part of the family of God. But now, some of us are raised that Jesus is our friend and buddy. And so if Mark, who is my friend and buddy, asks me to do something, he's my friend and buddy, and if it doesn't fit my schedule or I don't want to, I can politely say to Mark, no thank you. Jesus is my friend and buddy. He says something to me that I don't particularly care for or like. But because he's my friend and buddy, I can nicely say to him, no thank you. Because we're buds. We're buds. Jesus knows that. Jesus, friends wouldn't ask friends to do that because we're buds. We're just buds. Right? 
And we get overly casual and overly familiar with Jesus. And all of a sudden, this centurion, the very first message, the very first word of the message is, Lord, Master, you who have all power and authority. There's a recognition. There's a recognition that's happening here. Right? So for some here, you've got to change Lord to Master. Because Lord is just so cliche that it doesn't even resonate anymore. Truth be known. It doesn't even resonate. You're more fearful in a, in a in take, honestly, let's be honest. Some of us are more fearful of your boss at work than Master Jesus. Some of us are more fearful of our supervisors of not doing what's expected of us from our earthly bosses than our heavenly master. What? Where did, that, where did that get flipped to where I'm more concerned about being late because of what my boss is going to say and getting written up than getting to church on time because Bud Jesus knows and understands. Where did we flip it? And part of it, quite honestly, is we just become overly familiar with Lord. Spend a week or weeks using Master. And see what that begins to do when you choose not to obey. If, if that makes you more uncomfortable, that's the Holy Spirit. It's part of His job. It's called conviction. It's just part of conviction because He loves you. Okay? So He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I did not, do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Right? There's this understanding in the use of Lord of authority. Authority. And, and again, it's one of these things, it's one of those churchy words, and, and here we're going to spend a little bit of time doing a little bit of a Bible survey so we understand authority. Because that word authority has, has a couple of, of, of meanings to it. One is authority that comes from your innate nature and character. Another meaning is that which is delegated, and you're going to see that. But at its core, authority refers to someone that's the boss. When we say God, Jesus, are the ultimate authority, that means they have the power and the right to rule over everything. Period. That's that's really what it means. And that's why I shared on the, a little while ago, if we're struggling in our relationship with Jesus and we're struggling with obedience, it's probably because you're struggling with authority. Who's sitting on the chair? Who's calling the shots? Right? So one aspect of this, it begins with the innate nature of who God is. So Genesis 1.1. What is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God as creator is the ultimate authority as creator of everything. It begins with God as creator and everything else flows out of him, right? So look at Romans 13. We're going to do a little bit of an authority survey here. Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by who? God. So the ultimate authority comes from God who is the creator and who placed every other authority in, in position. So that is why God in His nature is the ultimate authority. Now, turn to John. Go back to John. John 1. So God is creator, is the ultimate authority. God is creator and ultimate authority. Puts all the authorities on the planet. He establishes them, right? Look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Verses 1 through 3, it says Jesus is God, and in fact, Jesus is Creator. Hmm. Kind of sounds like Genesis 1.1. If, if you're like, why are we studying this? This is like basic. Because it's basic. Because Jesus is Master. And we've got to settle this, 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 this issue of authority, right? Turn to, turn to Colossians. Chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 1. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in what? Everything He might have the what? Supremacy. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Jesus. These verses not only reaffirm Jesus' deity, that He is God, they, they reaffirm His authority and supremacy in, in, in and of Himself, who He is. Who He is, okay? Authority also refers to that which is delegated, right? So let's look at Matthew 28. So Jesus has this, this kind of supernatural combination of being God, so having ultimate authority in His nature. But look what He says in Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28:18. Then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Who gave it to him? His father. His father, right? There's this dual nature of of Jesus the Son of God and you know we could get all spun off into the Trinity and all that, but just on its face, Jesus is asserting that he has been delegated authority by his father. He also happens to be God, and He has authority, but there's almost like this double whammy of authority coming from Jesus, right? Turn to Matthew 9. Let's keep looking in Matthew. Matthew 9, verse 5. P. 
people bring Jesus a paralytic lying on a mat, right? In Matthew 9, starting in verse 2, it says, Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the mat and the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to men. So there's these two aspects of authority. One, it's innate in God, in Jesus, as being God and Jesus. That as Jesus was in his ministry on this planet, he also affirms that he had been delegated authority by his Father. And he was exercising the authority delegated to him, right? Let's look at one more. Ephesians 1. Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians 1, verse 22. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And God placed all things under His feet. Again, recognizing that as Jesus was walking around and fulfilling His ministry on earth, He had been delegated, He had been given authority like His Father. Okay? And you're like, okay, got that, got that, got that. Do you? Because Jesus... Jesus is Master. Master. Over everything in my life and yours. He's God. He's Creator. In His nature, He's Master. And He was delegated and given authority by His Heavenly Father. What does that mean for us? So we, we can say we recognize that, but what's going to be our response? What's our, what's our response, right? And if we go back to Luke 7, we see that the centurion... Back to Luke 7. The centurion responds with humility. Look what he says. Matthew, Mark, Luke 7. He says, Lord, and then he, then he reveals that he really understands Lord. Don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Right? If we understand Jesus as Master, as having full divine authority, we should respond in humility. We should kind of be on our knees or on our face if we understand the nature of Jesus. But if He's our bud and our friend, then we're just hanging out together. And so you've got to ask yourself, am I coming to Jesus and His authority with humility? See, here's the thing about a centurion. He's pretty self-reliant. He's a good fighter. He's, he's established himself in the military. He's a person of position. You might want to call him successful. You know who the centurion kind of represents? Us. He had kind of 
made a name for himself, worked hard, worked his way up the ranks, and now he's in charge of about 100 people. Kind of successful. Had a good career. Has a career going. Smart. Probably a good fighter, athletic. Kind of has it all together. And this altogether, put-together person says, Lord, I'm not even worthy to come in, to have you come into my house. Because he understands Lord, he understands humility. And part of our issue and our struggle in our walk with Jesus is not just that we don't get master. We're kind of full of ourselves. We're kind of, I'm a centurion. I'm not entry level anymore. I'm a supervisor. I've worked my way up in my job. I got people under me. I've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years. I'm established. I got respect. Part of our struggle is pride and, and ego and, 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 and that word master. Why does that res- why is that struggling? Why is that a struggle for us who are career minded and trying to be successful? Because we're not master. And 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 that master may intrude upon my kingdom. What happens when Master Jesus wants to mess with my kingdom? Where I'm master. You see the challenge? If we're going to walk with Jesus, if He says you've got to give up everything and follow Me, it means you give up everything, all the keys to your kingdom. But we've spent so many years, so many years being master and ruler of our own kingdoms that along comes Jesus... I'm master. That's where you got to spend time. If you're struggling with an area in your walk with Jesus, just ask yourself this question. Who's master? Who's the master? And, and that one, it can take some time. You can feel the conviction. You can feel the weight of it. And that's not a bad thing. But then you got to you say, okay, Lord, I confess I've been master. And I'm not talking bad things. I'm talking even if you're successful with your money. Who's the master of your money? Who's the master of your time? Who's the master of your truck? I'm talking not bad things. Not, not that you're doing evil, wicked, sinful things. I'm talking good stuff. Who owns it? Who calls the shots with it? And is in our flesh and in our nature... Hmm. But I went to church. I give you 9 to 10.30. I even stay for donuts. And you want more? You want it all? Come on. Okay, I'll go Wednesday. Give you a little more. But the rest is mine because preseason football, Lord. I don't know if I can make it to Delta Group. Preseason starts. I say that, but I, I may not be there, so they're going to be like, I know where he is! I know where he is! He said he had a family thing. They're watching football. Who's the master? And I'm not saying it's easy, because cause I, I spent 12 hours going to Hume and back yesterday to pick up Vinny. And it's amazing what God does as you drive through Central California and everyone else is asleep 
and you decide to have a chat and turn off the radio and just drive and let God begin to ask you questions about areas in your life and and then ask, well, who's the master of that, Richie? Turn the radio back on. (laughs) Real loud. No, it, 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 was, it was convicting. Uh, there was a time when, when uh, it was Nadine and I went up and she fell asleep and I was just driving all the way from, you know, Grapevine to Tulare. That's where he, he got me, right around McFarland is where, is where he lowered the boom. <laughs> the boom was lowered on the 99 yesterday. And I was like, ah, okay, okay, master. And, and so uh, I understand I understand. And, and, and it's scary. There's fear. Because it's a step of faith. Because we believe there's an illusion that we're in control. And that our control has somehow kept us secure and kept it all together. And so we think that if we give the Master the keys, what are you going to do? Right? For you parents who have kids that drive, remember the first time they drove away with the keys and the car? And you were no longer in control? Well, Jesus is asking for the key. The set of keys to every door and every closet and every trunk and every piece of luggage. Because he's the master. He wants the master key. And so I get it. I understand the... Right? And so in this story, look what he says here. He says, uh, hey... Don't, you don't even need to come. He says, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. He has this, this response, and he says, hey, you know what? I get it, Jesus. I got, I got soldiers under me. I take orders from above. I give orders below. Somehow or another, he had heard stories about Jesus. We don't know for sure. It doesn't explain how he heard who Jesus was and how he came to this established, settled fact of Jesus' authority. Somehow he came to it. He says, hey, Jesus, I get this. So here's, here's your Lord. Just say it. You don't even have to come and show up physically. You have such authority. Just say it. And in your authority, my servant's going to be healed. He had Jesus' authority would take care of the issue. He trusted Jesus with a servant that he cared about, was paralyzed, was in suffering. And sometimes, it's not that we're, we're like rebellious. and da-da. Sometimes, quite honestly, when we have issues in our life that, that mean a lot to us and people that mean a lot to us, to submit to Jesus' authority and give Him the key and control? That's scary. That's a step of faith, isn't it? That's a step of faith. To give up those things that we hold so closely as humans and those things that scare us and those things that have have wounded us and, and confused us, all these things. To say, here, Lord, you're Master. Here, Lord, take it. Say the Word. Just say the Word. I'm going to submit to your authority. I'm going to trust your authority with these issues that are so deep. That's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. That's what's happening here. And then look what, look what Jesus says. 
verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Some versions say astonished, marveled. He was amazed at him, turning to the crown, following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Jesus was marked. And this, this, think about it. Jesus is God, so he, he's, he's fully God, fully human. And it says he was amazed. A Gentile exercising this degree of faith stunned Jesus. What? Look at this. I haven't even found this in, in my own people. A Gentile has that much faith in my authority. Do you want to know where... There's only one other place in the Gospels where this same sense of amazement and astonishment happens. Turn to Mark. So Jesus is... he's, He's wondering. He's admiration. He's marveling. He's astonished, right? This word happens one other time in the Gospels. Jesus is in his hometown. Jesus is in his hometown. Mark 6, 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, then the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Wow! In Luke 7, he's amazed at a Gentile's faith. In Mark 6, 6, he's amazed at their lack of faith. As I have been pondering that, I ask myself, is Jesus gladdened or saddened by my faith? When it comes to my faith in Master, in His authority, in my obedience, is Jesus like, woohoo! Yeah! That's amazing! Are you kidding me? Amazing, don't think so. Is Jesus amazed at our faith when we're confronted with decisions and obedience and stepping out in faith, trusting his authority, trusting his word? Is he amazed? Like, oh man, awesome. They don't I know they don't fully understand it, but they're by faith, they're obeying by faith. Woo! That's awesome! I'm astonished, marvelous. Way to go, Cindy, way to go, Robert, way to go, Scott. Woohoo! Bill, come on, man. I'm amazed. Come on, Bill. What do you mean you don't? Come on, just have faith. Come on, you know, you got the Bible, you teach Wednesdays. Come on, Bill. I'm amazed at your lack of faith. Right? Right? It's faith. It is faith. To call him master. And to believe it as revealed in our life. It, it's a step of faith. Because you've got to give him the master key. And in the power of the Holy Spirit you say, 
Say the word, my servant shall be healed. Oh, man, that's awesome. I marvel at that faith. Let me show you a picture of a bumper sticker that's kind of real popular these days. And we're going to take communion. Some of you may have seen this, and if you didn't understand it, you'll understand it now. He is greater than I. For all of you math mathematicians. You've seen that bumper sticker? He is greater than I. Lord, Master, is greater than I. We get in trouble by adding one thing to this equation. That little yellow line. And for those of you in math, you know that now it says he is greater than or equal I. Adding that little line changes master and Lord to buddy and friend. We're just equals. You're greater than in some things, Jesus, and I get that. Salvation, you die for me. But in other things, my time, my money, resources, worry, fear, anxiety, we're just equal. We see eye to eye, don't we, Jesus? And that's, that's really in, in picture form. Go ahead, go, Shiloh, go back. He is greater than I. He is greater than or equal to I. It kind of goes back to authority. Who is he? Is he master? Right? Is he amazed? Is he marveling at your faith when you took that test, you son of a gun, you, right? And you're singing praise songs as you're driving, and after you turn in the test, you're going back and humming, right? Or you? <laughs> Is he amazed? Right? What? Is it, go back, is it greater than I? And I'm going to yield and submit? <sighs> Nevertheless, okay, you're greater than I. Or is it, mm, mm. and if that's where you are, first step is just, just where you are. Just begin there. And work through Scripture, get counsel, pray, and, and, and surround yourself with people who can act, actually just come into your life with your permission and say, what does this mean? What does this look like to make Him master of everything? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You are Master, the authority. Thank You for the example of a centurion, a Gentile like us, who made you marvel. You were amazed at His faith in your authority. And as we prepare for communion, we too are marveled at Your grace and Your love. That You would die for us while we were yet sinners. And may we never take that for granted. And, and You did that in submission to Your Father's will. And so, Lord, with our mouth, we, we say You are Lord, but perhaps there's areas in our life where, quite frankly, You're not. And that's the root of our struggles. We're not submitted. We're not yielded. We're not exercising faith in these areas. We're, we're battling 
We're scared. We're rebelling. So would you use this time of communion as a time of reflection? As we hold the cups, would we understand that they are symbolic that you submitted to your Father's will? And you're asking us in faith to submit to you and your authority. Because you're a good God. And you desire goodness for us in your plan, in your will, in your timing, in your way. So we'll take this time of communion to remember you, Jesus, but also, Lord, just to have a time maybe of confession in those areas where we're struggling to give you the master key.